trained as a pastor, so Sunday mornings are important, in, in my opinion. But uh, God is at work wherever he sends us, wherever he calls us, wherever he takes us. For the message, uh, to set it up this morning, it's going to be something a little bit different. First of all, and you won't hear this very often, uh, where the preacher asks you to take out your mobile phones. So those of you who are taking a sneaky look at Facebook, you've got some cover here. Um, let's get these out of the way. Okay, take out your phones, and then I want you to go to Google, and I want you to Google someone's name. And the name is Mary Donaldson. Mary Donaldson. And just, you know, we're, we're sort of hopefully feeling comfortable here. Just who, who comes up? Queen Mary. Queen Mary. Prin even Princess Mary or Queen Mary as she is by now. Mary Donaldson is from Tasmania. Uh, quite a few years ago, as a young woman, uh, I, th I think, and hey, just correct me if I've got the story wrong, it goes something like this. She went out for a, a night with some friends at a pub in Sydney and happened to meet a young man named Philip or Fi Frederick sorry Frederick <laughs> don't know what happened to Philip uh, F Frederick oh, maybe she met a Philip that night too yeah um, Frederick who happened to be the Prince of Denmark Mary married Frederick and she became the Princess of Denmark so Tasmania Australia Sydney meets the Prince of Denmark, becomes the Princess of Denmark. And today, as our friends here rightly pointed out, she's now Queen Mary of Denmark. So that beautiful photo of that uh, wonderful lady there, that's, that's who I want you to have in mind as we unpack some of the story of Queen Esther uh, today. Now, Mary... I'd, I wouldn't have a clue if she actually resembles Queen Esther, but I'm sure she has all the elegance and poise of Queen Esther. That's what I have in my mind anyway. So I'm now going to step out of the way for just under 10 minutes and Denzel has something for you to explain as a flyover of the story of Esther. Here we go. Thank you, Denzel. One of the more exciting and curious books in the Bible. The story is set over 100 years after the Babylonian exile of the Israelites from the land. And while some Jews did return to Jerusalem, remember Ezra and Nehemiah, many did not. And so the book of Esther is about a Jewish community living in Susa, the capital city of the ancient Persian Empire.
So did you enjoy that flyover of the Book of Esther? That's from the Bible Project. I highly recommend it. Uh, you, can, you can find it for yourself, just like you found Mary Donaldson on Google, on the, the Bible Project. Can we pray? Thank you, Lord, that you are sovereign. And uh, Lord, whatever um, format your story is presented, whether you are... Um, spoken about directly or not, the fact remains that you are sovereign. You are the author of history. You are the author of our salvation. And we thank you that you have given us your living word and your word is alive today. And so we thank you that your word speaks today. Pray that we would hear with our with our spiritual ears and see with our spiritual eyes what you are saying to each of us today. In Jesus' name, amen. So, uh, I've titled this message, Esther, Courage with a Crown. The book of Esther uh, takes place, and if we can look at the next slide, thanks, Denzel. Let's take in the next slide, thank you. So there's a, a map, basically... That, that map, it shows the uh, area of the Middle East and then to the north is, is uh, Russia and then uh, Europe over to the, to the west and then down also south, southern is Africa and then you've got the, the Gulf, um, the Persian Gulf down there below. That purpley area, whatever colour that is, um, that was the, the Persian Empire at the time of Esther. So that's how powerful the king was. Uh, king Xerxes, otherwise known as um, Artaxerxes or referred to here in the Christian Standard Bible as Ahasuerus. That's the king. Let's just call him the king, okay? All right. Um, there's some amazing points that come out of this story of Esther. And while she is certainly a a uh, shining light in this story for, for many reasons. There's many lessons that we can take away uh, and be inspired by Esther and her courage. Mordecai also um, is, is someone who stands up for God, even despite his flaws, as they pointed out in the Bible Project. Isn't that good news? You don't have to be a paragon of virtue. You don't have to be perfection personified. You can just be you, but trusting in God to do all he needs to do and wants to do. So, lesson one. Number one, Satan's schemes of destruction are God's vessels of deliverance. So, what comes to you looking like, wow, this is destruction coming for me. It's disguised as, as that, but it's really something God will use as a vessel of deliverance. The book of Esther is one of the most stunning displays of God's sovereignty. It doesn't matter what plans Satan devises to destroy the Jewish people. It doesn't matter. God turns those very schemes into vehicles of the enemy's demise. They're simultaneously vessels of deliverance for his people. Does it ever strike you, uh, if we can just do the math here, World War II, 
The Nazis, their goal was to destroy the Jewish people. How many people on planet Earth at that time? 18 million. How many did the Nazis destroy? 6 million. One third of their entire nationality. Two years later, two years, that's all, after World War II ended, what happens? There's suddenly, there's a nation in Israel. And then what happens in 1948? So three years after World War II, after the Nazis had attempted to destroy the entire Jewish race, a new nation appears on planet Earth. Can anyone stop God? Who can come against him? The second lesson. Thank you, Denzel. God raises his servants to positions of power to speak out on behalf of others. If God has raised you, yes, you, to a position of power, then he is calling you to use the leverage you have to speak out on behalf of people who have little or no traction to move forward. What's leverage? This is leverage. Sorry about that. Sorry about that. I don't. I don't think Aiden's too impressed. Aiden, the sound guy. Sorry, mate. Um, just a bit of method acting demonstration. Leverage. It didn't take much. Just a few of my toes to lift that that rather heavy speaker. That's leverage. You don't need to be powerful. You don't need to be. You know, super. You know, super strength uh, person to have leverage. It's all about the position God puts you in. Archimedes, here's a fun fact. Archimedes was a brilliant uh, ancient Greek um, genius, basically. He, he did the math. He worked out that if he had a lever long enough, and okay, it's all in theory, if he had a lever long enough, he could lift the whole world. If he had a lever long, and the engineers are nodding, the engineers who I know of here in the congregation are nodding. That's right. If he had a lever and he could position it in the right place in the universe, he could lift the whole world. God knows that. He designed it. If he's raised you to a position of power, he's calling you to use the leverage you have to speak out on behalf of people who have little or no traction to move forward without your help. It's no accident how you have this influence right now at this pivotal juncture in history. So don't hesitate. In Esther chapter 4, verse 14, Mordecai, her cousin who raised her and was really like a father to her, he said, if you keep silent, this is him really being, you know, putting on the dad thing. If you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will come to the Jewish people from another place. But you and your father's family will be destroyed. Who knows? Perhaps you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. The third lesson. There's six of them, okay? We're already at three, so that's all right. Yeah? Third lesson. God's sovereignty guarantees the defeat of the enemies of his people. 
That's sovereignty. That's being in charge. That's having the final say. That's because he's the one who signs at the bottom. Whatever anyone is trying to push through. God's sovereignty, so obvious in this story, right? So obvious in the story of Esther. Extends way beyond the defeat of the enemy's scheme that was intended to destroy the Jewish people. R.C. Sproul, a great Bible commentator, unpacks more about those reversals. Did you love those reversals in the story of Esther? Something hugely satisfying about those reversals, isn't there? This is what R.C. Sproul says. The author of Esther, as we have seen, makes no direct mention of the Lord as a way of highlighting the invisible way that God often works in our lives. Because the Lord is working out all things according to the counsel of his will, there can be no true coincidences in history. Mordecai overheard the plot against King Ahasuerus and the king had insomnia on one particular night because the Lord was orchestrating things to make the king more favourably disposed to the Jews. We find more evidence of the Lord's working in the story of Esther in the sudden reversals of fortune for the Jews in the history of that era. Haman the Agagite, the enemy of the Jews, seemed to be on the ascent He had the royal authority to kill the Jews, even being granted the right to build gallows on which to hang Mordecai. You saw that. Yet just when Haman thought his plan would come to fruition, Esther's intervention turned the tables on him. Haman was out of the way, but the king was unable to rescind his decree calling for the Jews' destruction. So King Ahasuerus allowed Esther to make a law empowering the Jews to defend themselves. You saw that all in the Bible project, in their flyover. A dramatic reversal, continues R.C. Sproul, a dramatic reversal indeed happened on those days for the Lord brought good out of Haman's desire to do evil to God's people. Ultimately, this should not surprise us at all, for our Creator promises to bring good out of every evil that is instigated against His people. I believe that in the days we're in, when we read about God's people, did you know that you have been grafted into that vine? So yes, there was a time where God's people meant the Jewish people, and it still does. But it meant the Jewish people exclusively. But because of what Jesus did, we have been grafted into the vine. Do we have God's people here in the house this morning? I can hear them. The fourth lesson. God's sovereignty can bring favour on servants of earthly rulers. We looked at that last week, if you were here, with Daniel. Daniel, a man of God, who hardly put a foot wrong, according to the book. And he's an impressive person, to say the least. Yet he served the most evil regime on the planet at that time. Somehow he was able to represent God with integrity... In, in that kind of environment, God did it. 
God brought favour on Daniel's ministry, on his work in that place. So the story concludes, back to Esther, the story concludes with all Jewish citizens receiving the full support of the king and all levels of his government across the entire Persian Empire. Does that sound like favour? That's favour, isn't it? Only, only the favour of God can bring that kind of turnaround in a whole empire, a whole society. So in Esther chapter 9, this is what happened. Reading from verse 1. The first law that the king had made was to be followed on the 13th day of Adar, the 12th month. This was the very day that the enemies of the Jews had hoped to do away with them. But the Jews turned things around and in the cities of every province they came together to attack their enemies. Everyone was afraid of the Jews and no one could do anything to oppose them. The leaders of the provinces, the rulers, the governors and the court officials were afraid of Mordecai and took sides with the Jews. Everyone in the provinces, and you saw how big that empire was, everyone in the provinces knew that the king had promoted him and had given him a lot of power. The fifth lesson, number five, thanks Daniel. The enemy of God will always overplay his hand. You'll be wondering, what, what's causing this if you find yourself in a situation where you are under spiritual attack, it'll be like you're surrounded by a fog and there's something that keeps bumping into you or you keep bumping into it in the fog and you go, what is that? There's something, it's, and it's, every time I bump into it, it's never good. But what is it? And then the fog lifts and it is revealed and God shows you who it is. The enemy of God will always overplay his hand and thereby expose who they are, expose what they're doing. Again, just trust that God will show you at the right time. You won't have to be your own detective and, and, and stalk and snoop and try, and try and find out you know, and gather information about your enemies. God will show you what you need to know. He'll bring that news to you. The king... Sleeping, trying to sleep, couldn't sleep. The forgotten news of Mordecai saving the king from the assassination attempt is revealed to the king in the middle of the night when he couldn't sleep. That tiny little detail. You can just imagine the court official reading, oh yeah, by the way. What? By the way, Mordecai saved your life. Remember that. God has his way of revealing what we need to know. And the enemy of God will always overplay his hand. Besides showcasing the supreme sovereignty of God, the book of Esther also highlights the compulsive overreach of the enemy. What does compulsive overreach mean? He just can't help himself. Haman, he wasn't satisfied with just, just the fact that he was, you know, being raised to power, a very powerful position. No, he still wanted to make Mordecai pay. His compulsive overreach. Haman had a personal issue with Mordecai. It was a personal issue. Just didn't like the guy. Oh, and he's a Jew. And he, in this personal issue with Mordecai, he was consequently looking for revenge. That big stake he had built. 
This was, this was revenge being plotted. Satan used Haman by projecting his murderous hatred of the Jews onto this situation. That episode I referred to in history, World War II, did it ever strike you as, as incredible the way one leader was able to seemingly take control of the minds of an entire nation? the German people. And by the way, this is the Germans. They, weren't, they, were, they were far from being savages. This was the most cultured, educated, brilliant society in many ways at the time. Satan used Haman in the same way that he used Hitler. Journalists who had no, no spiritual necessarily observing Hitler one being William L. Shearer an American journalist who was in Berlin at the time in the 30s saw Hitler speaking in the parliament and he wrote back in his correspondence in his article for the New York Times or Washington Post whoever it was and he said this man has a demonic presence he saw it Satan used Haman by projecting his murderous hatred of the Jews onto this situation. The result was a showdown between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of darkness. The devil came second. The final lesson. Thank you, Denzel. Number six. God's timing is perfect. But it takes courage to trust him with our life. Do you believe God's timing is perfect? Yeah, now trust him with your life. Uh, okay. Chapter 4 says it all. If you have your Bible with me, I'm reading chapter 4 of the book of Esther, reading from verse 1. When Mordecai learned all that had occurred, he tore his clothes put on sackcloth and ashes, went into the middle of the city and cried loudly and bitterly. He went only as far as the king's gate, since the law prohibited anyone wearing sackcloth from entering the king's gate. There was great mourning among the Jewish people in every province where the king's command and edict reached. They fasted, wept and lamented, and many lay in sackcloth and ashes. Esther's female servants and her eunuchs came and reported the news to her, and the queen was overcome with fear. Did you hear that? Esther was overcome with fear. So did she say, right, I'm, I'm out of here? No, this is what she did. She sent clothes for Mordecai to wear so that he would take off his sackcloth, but he did not accept them. Esther summoned Hathak, one of the king's eunuchs who attended her, and dispatched him to Mordecai to learn what he was doing and why. So Hathak went out to Mordecai in the city square in front of the king's gate. Mordecai told him everything that had happened as well as the exact amount of money Haman had promised to pay the royal treasury for the slaughter of the Jews. Mordecai also gave him a copy of the written decree issued in Susa, ordering their destruction, so that Hathak might show it to Esther, explain it to her and command her to approach the king, implore his favour and plead with him personally for her people. Hathak came and repeated Mordecai's response to Esther. Esther spoke to Hathak and commanded him to tell Mordecai, all the royal officials and the people of the royal provinces know that one law applies to every man or woman who approaches the king in the inner courtyard and who has not been summoned. 
Do you know what it is? The death penalty. That's what Esther faced. If she just decided, I'm going to go and see the king, and he didn't feel like seeing her that day, that was it. She would be taken out and executed. That's what she faced if it went badly. She said, the death penalty. Unless the king extends the gold scepter, allowing that person to live. I have not been summoned to appear before the king for the last 30 days. And considering how, how smitten the king was with Esther, then that's, that's sounding like it's, it's sort of gone a bit south. Esther's response was reported to Mordecai. And as we referred to before, verse 13, Mordecai told the messenger to reply to Esther, don't think that you will escape the fate of all the Jews because you're in the king's palace. If you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will come to the Jewish people from another place, but you and your father's family will be destroyed. Who knows, perhaps you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. God's timing is perfect. Esther sent this reply to Mordecai, Go and assemble all the Jews who can be found in Susa and fast for me. Don't eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my female servants will also fast in the same way. After that, I will go to the king, even if it is against the law. If I perish, I perish. Esther, courage with a crown. It takes courage to trust God with our life. So Mordecai went and did everything Esther had commanded him. Esther, courage with a crown. I'm closing today with a prayer that I've written. Those of you who know me um, as a preacher, you know I like to write my closing prayers so I don't ramble and waffle on and get, you know, quarter to 12, I'm still praying. Um, and I invite you to enter into this prayer and, and then if you agree, say Amen and it's the next slide, thanks thanks, Denzel and then when I conclude that prayer I'm going to invite Lachlan to come and lead us in a communion song thanks. and that will be an opportunity for us to really um, add the Amen to that prayer and and a time to wait on, on the Lord to show us what he's calling us to do. What's a position he has raised us to where he's calling us to speak out or act on behalf of others? And it's what Jesus did at his, at his time of sacrifice, was approaching. And he called us to remember what he did. And that's what communion is. I've called it a prayer for courage. Again, I don't know... If if Esther prayed these words, I'm not pretending that she did, but I'd like to imagine Esther praying something like this. A prayer for courage. Dear Heavenly Father, I believe that your timing is perfect and that you know me better than I know myself. I thank you for placing a guard on my lips and for granting me the wisdom and discernment to know when to stay silent. Help me 
when the time comes, to speak up and act for those who are unable to defend themselves. Even if I may perish, please give me the courage to step forward in faith and to trust you to carry out your plan, confident that you always have the big picture of history in mind. Lord Jesus, I am blessed to be alive and to know that your mighty hand is on my life for such a time as this. In your all-powerful name I pray. Amen. Thanks, Lachlan. So we're going to move into a time of communion. I